Amen. Operation Christmas Child has been a ministry we've partnered with for, for years, and every year it's grown. And so I'm challenging this year. I haven't thrown out a number yet. We're going to throw out a number of how many shoeboxes we can put together as a church, because as you saw in that video, and the Lord uses this, there are so many who have never heard the truth, who have never heard the love of God, and that's what we want to partner with. And so I want to just thank you for the way you've already ministered in this partnership. But man, this year, we're going to take it to a whole nother level. And so when you go out the door to your left, you'll see the missions area. Uh, Summer will be there, who does a tremendous job. She's come in and just done a great job with our missions uh, program. Speaking of that, our two teams, our Honduras team got back last night at midnight. And so we're praising the Lord for that. Even saw some of the faithful members here this morning. Uh, And our Belize team comes back tonight at midnight. And so be praying for them, but already hearing so many great things that the Lord is doing there. Speaking of that, I want to celebrate, you know, it's, I've been here 15 years and I've seen how, you know, the Lord will bring people, you know, into the ministry, they'll serve and, and then maybe move them all into another ministry or even just a different season. And we've had that. And it's just been cool to see Kelly Miller. Many of you know, Kelly Miller, who has served here so faithfully with Skip for so many years. She is stepping away. And I just want to celebrate her from this stage because she has been an inspiration to all of us. And so Kelly and Skip have been truly amazing. Through all of her battles, man, to see her faithfulness. I'll never forget walking into a hospital room after a major surgery that she had had. And she was engaging in a conversation with the nurse in the room. And I just sat back and was just convicted, to be quite honest with you, of my own personal walk, because I was just watching her put this nurse, you know, even above herself as she was ministering and sharing the gospel. And I was like, man, I'd have been milking it for all. Anyway, so again, <laughs> just very faithful. Thank you. I, I think of Susan Babb. Susan served here faithfully, and now she's stepping away again. And it's just we've seen that. And I want you to be praying for our worship ministry. God has done some tremendous things in our worship ministry. So thankful for our worship ministry, the ones you see in front of you, but many you don't see behind you. And we believe in the season that God is leading us to even add to that ministry. And so we're praying about what that means. And so I've been meeting with our council, our personnel team's been meeting with our our worship team, and, and we're walking this journey of, okay, Lord, and I've seen this before in my time here. Lord, we're not exactly where you're taking us, but we want to be faithful to where you're leading. And so be praying for our church. God will, God's will be done. That is the number one agenda. I can tell you that right now. Uh, as a man who went my own path many times, I can tell you as the pastor of this church, I have no desire to follow my own dead end past. I want the Lord's will. Can I get an amen? And what a privilege it is to be a part um, of what he's doing. You know, we've seen what's going on in the world, and I just want to take a moment. You know, we were in Israel this past May and built so many relationships, not just in this past trip, but in the trip before. My heart, my mind has just been going. We've seen this whole past week. And I just thought of so many who are over there that we've reached out to that we're really not quite sure. You know, I'm sure they've been called up. I'm sure they're serving. And, you know, but it's one of those things where, you know, your heart just aches, you know, when you see that evil in the world. And it's what we're going to talk about this morning in this passage of Scripture, but I just want to pause this morning and pray. Can we do that? I, I just want to pause this morning and, and invite you to stand where you are. If you want to sit, if you want to kneel, I just want to pray for, you know, the, the situation of our world and just pray for truth to prevail and pray for Jesus, for Jesus to be seen as hope through all of this. Can I get an amen? Can we? So let's just go to the Lord in prayer, wherever you may be, and just allow us just to be a time to just cry out to the Lord and just say, Lord, We trust in the fact that we serve a God who is sitting upon his throne. You are sovereign, Lord, and that is something that gives us great peace, but it's a great mystery to us as well. 
to try to understand all that's happening, Lord, but we recognize that you are above it all. And so, Lord, in the chaos of what's happening in our world right now, Lord, we pray for your hand of protection. We pray for truth, Lord. We pray through it all, Lord, for Christ to be seen. Somehow, someway, that you will point people to your son where hope is only found. And so, Lord, as a body of believers right now this morning, your word tells us sometimes we don't even know what to pray for. And so, Lord, as your Holy Spirit in us, we just pray for your will, and we pray, Lord, for your glory, even in the midst of the evil that we see. We ask it in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles with me if you would. And it falls right in line, really, with what we're talking about. But before we get in there, too, I want to acknowledge one more person. Last week, we commissioned Kyle and Kim and, and Lily and Jace to go to Lesotho. But the week leading up to that on Thursday, Blake LaRussa, who is our uh, now student pastor, went through the ordination process. And he sat before 10 men in an ordination council that my dad was the chairman of, which was a little intimidating. I, I didn't want to be in his seat, but he did an amazing job. And through the process, we commissioned him and have ordained him to be pastor. And so now when you see Blake, you see Pastor Blake LaRussa, and we want to celebrate that in the Lord, in the body of our church. Amen? Doing a great job. And again, just to, you, if you have kids in the ministry, you've seen this. Like, you've seen what the Lord's done, and it's so unique. You know, today, Pastor Caleb, who had done such a tremendous job in growing that ministry and laying the foundation, and now he's serving as our discipleship pastor. And now to see Blake stepping in, to see Jake with his Lexi coming. I mean, again, it's so cool to see what the Lord is doing in the body of us. Find your place, man. If you're here, you belong, and you're needed. And so find your place, that's where your joy, and again, that's where your ministry will be done. And so I encourage you in that. Here we go. 20 minutes and now the sermon. Y'all ready for this? 1 John chapter 2. Take your Bibles and stand with me if you would. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read a passage of scripture that's more very familiar to many. This is one of those passages of scripture that if you know 1 John at all, it's probably one of the ones you've learned. If you've memorized any verses out of this book, this is probably one of the ones you've memorized, either this or 513, that we may know that we have eternal life. But this is one of the ones that come to the surface very quickly. But it's important to understand the context. It's important to understand the whole of what's happening. And that's why I love the verse-by-verse -verse study, because it allows us to see what he is doing. So let's go there. So 1 John, I had it marked, and I don't need more. 1 John chapter 2. I feel like I'm doing a Bible drill in front of a lot of people right now. <laughs> Verse 15, here we go. We got to unpack this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here it is, three things now. Notice this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you're a guest today, aren't you glad you came on this day right here with this? Here we go. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And here's the destination of it. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. Notice that word. But he who does the will of God, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Can I get an amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. And Lord, we pray your spirit of truth that lives in us, leads us, teaches us, guides us. Lord, this morning, may your spirit teach and preach, Lord, I pray. Hide me behind the cross, Lord, I pray. May I decrease as you increase what I pray for the glory of Christ this morning. And if there's one here who's never taken that step of faith, who has never seen or heard or truly experienced your love, 
your perfect, sacrificial, substitutionary love. May they hear it and see it today. Not in a religion. We see in the world what religion does. In a person, in a savior, in a God who died for our sins. Lord, this morning, search our hearts, convict us, change us, and may we leave even more captivated and changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So here we go, a quick catch-up, a quick catch-up, right? Let's do a two-minute catch-up. I always give you a time. Anytime I throw out a time, it means nothing, by the way. I don't know if you've recognized that by now. I do it up front to set you at ease, but then I don't even hold to it. So here's a two-minute cliff notes. You ready? Let's start. Go back to chapter one, if you would. Let's build very quickly. You got to build in this. You got to build in this, right? First four verses is the key to this whole book. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And John, make sure we understand that. He's dealing, right? He's writing now as a 90-year-old man. He's writing now, reflecting back to his time with Jesus. Now, again, we go back to the upper room discourse. If you've never seen that, go to John 13 and read John 13 through John 17. And it's that setting right before the cross. And if you really want to see a savior, study those passages. Tell someone they're going to die in 12 hours and see what they do. You'll see what's important to them. Jesus, knowing he's getting ready to die for the sins of us, but the sins of his friends. And in that setting, you see him loving them, loving them, loving them. And so here is John now 50 years later, and there's people claiming to know this Jesus. There's people claiming to walk with this Jesus. And he's looking at them and he's like, first of all, you don't even care about the, the commandments of God. Second of all, you're not loving the way that man loved. And so he writes this letter to say, no, you may claim Jesus, but if Jesus is not manifested in your life, you don't know Jesus. And so he's writing this letter not for believers to question their faith. He's writing this letter for Christians to be certain in their faith, but also as an examination. Because in the context of who he's writing to, those seven churches of Asia Minor, there are many claiming to know Christ. But he says, here's the evaluation. You want to know if you know him? Here it is. So he lays the first four verses that it's Jesus alone. It's not a religion. It's not ordinances. It's Jesus. And he says what? I saw him. I heard him. I investigated him. I touched him. Don't tell me you know him. And then there's nothing about him that reflects in you. Because he says, I walked with him. Then you go to verse five very quickly. He says, this is the standard. God is perfect. And so now it comes to our understanding of sin. If you look at verse six down to verse 10, when you see now, okay, if God is perfect, the first step I got to take to get to a savior is an examination of me. And let's be real. There's a lot of people in the world that will reject Jesus because they never accept that they're a sinner. I've met people who don't need a savior. I'm good. And so John goes through this whole list of, hey, if you say this, if you say you don't have sin, then you've never even come to the first step of recognition. Then you move into the second chapter. You ready? Chapter two, verse one and two are so critical to this whole book. And this is the, really the, the key part of the entire letter. Verse one, we have an advocate. He says, if you sin and you will, we have someone, a representative that will stand in our place. Verse two is how did that happen? Our advocate is to sacrifice himself. And so verse one is him stepping in as our representative to be the one upon the cross taking our sins when truly we deserve it. Verse two is him as a priest not bringing the sacrifice, but him as the priest being the sacrifice. And so then John says this, if you get Jesus right, you can now move to the next step. If you don't get Jesus right, you can't even move to step two. 
But he says, if you get Jesus right, he's the foundation. You understand your sins. You understand grace, him as your advocate. You understand substitution, him as your representative. Then it comes to this. Verse 3, first test is obedience. He said, here's the examination. You want to know if you know him? Do you have a desire to walk in truth? Has there been a change of direction in your life? That's simply what he's asking. He's not preaching, and we've talked about this, perfection. He's talking about a direction. Is he saying that, hey, there's a natural flow in all of us, and we're going to get in this, the lust of the flesh. You don't have to look for it. It's in you. So the moment you wake up, the lust of the flesh is there, and it is going, and it is going. And he's asking the question, has there ever been a change of direction? Because he says, right, here's the first examination. If you don't have a desire to walk in truth, you don't have a desire to live in truth, is Christ really in you? He then moves to the next examination, love. And now this builds into what we're going to cover today. Look at verse 9. The first examination is obedience. The second one is love. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. So here is John, 90 years old, reflecting back, I believe, to the upper room, seeing Jesus washing the feet of those disciples with Judas in the room. And I believe John is reflecting back and he's hearing people say, I know Jesus. I had this enlightenment, this experience, this, this mind. And he's going, no. And you don't love like that? Don't tell me you know Jesus. I walked with him. I saw him. Let's be real. We have people around us who love us well. Praise God. You may be in here and your husband loves you so well. He may rub your feet every night. Praise God for that. The rest of us are trying to grow in our relationship with the Lord. <laughs> He may bring you breakfast. Your wives, you may, you may love your husband. Your wife may love you in the most amazing way. But let me say this. We don't love each other perfectly. We can't. We can't. We're sinful beings, redeemed, yes, possessed by the Holy Spirit. Not possessed, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That was a weird word, live stream, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But now there's that change of direction. There's a desire to not go that way no more. Because you've gone that way. And if you're anything like me, the Lord allowed you to walk that line. And you found what was at the end of it. But the Lord got a hold of your heart. You saw his love. You saw his grace. You saw his mercy. You yielded to him. And now you're trying to fight that. And he says, one of the great evidences is not only do you desire to walk in truth, but you'll love people. You'll love people in a way that you've been loved. You'll love people not because they've earned it or deserve it, because that's not the way Christ loved us. I often think about that passage. Husbands, love your wives as? Yeah, we love the submission passage. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's my life verse, by the way. I write it on my sneakers. I write it. <laughs> just kidding, Amber. Just kidding. But the verse I don't want to quote is husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church in spite of the church? How did Christ love the church on a cross while the church was spitting upon him and mocking him and rejecting him? It wasn't I love you because, it's I love you in spite of. It's not a love feeling, it's a love act. And so John is reflecting, I believe, upon that. And I believe John went through a process of love. I believe that. If you go back and you look at some of those passages early on, he was the youngest disciple called, and now he's the last standing disciple, and probably the last one who has seen the resurrected Christ. And if you look at him, right, he was a dude, man. God called, Jesus called him a son of thunder. Do you remember the passage where they walked through the village? I've quoted this before. And he felt like they didn't welcome Jesus the way that they should have welcomed Jesus. And he looks at Jesus and says, hey, should we call fire down from the heavens to destroy this village? And Jesus, I think Jesus was like, what? Now, anyway, I, I just have all these pictures in my head of how Jesus reacted to those disciples. But this is the dude we're talking about. 
who now at 90 years old is going, don't tell me you love God. Don't tell me you know him who loved me perfectly, who never failed me. And I believe that was the whole issue. I believe when Jesus was telling them it's better for me to go, yes, the Holy Spirit will live inside of you. But think about it. They have been loved perfectly. We can love each other well. We can't love each other perfectly. John experienced perfect love, a love that never let him down in his faced physical love. And he's hearing people, they know that guy and yet hate their brother and he's calling them out. So now it moves into what we're not to love. That was all introduction. How much time we got now? 15 minutes. Here we go. Verse 15. Look at what it says. Tells us to love, but now he tells us what not to love. We got to unpack this. Do not love the, say the word with me, are the things in the, if anyone loves the, the love of the Father is not in him. So we see the central word here, world. We got to unpack that. There's three different definitions of world in scripture. When you hear the word world, it can mean the physical world, right? If you go back and you look at Acts, here's a verse. If you go to Acts chapter 17, verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. That word world deals with the physical world, the created world. That's not the word being used here. He's not telling us to walk around kicking goose or geese or whatever they are. But they are, can we just talk about them? They are the most stubborn, <laughs> self-centered. They don't care, but, it, but we're not called to kick them and go, well, I'm supposed to hate the world because the love of the Father. No, that's not what he's saying. We are to love the world. Part of our worship of God is the world, right? I mean, we, but the heavens declare the glory of God. If you go to the Psalms, like the, what is it? it reflects upon the world, the created world that leads us not to worship the world, but the creator of the world. So he's not using the word for physical world. He's not saying to hate God's created world. Also, you'll see the word used for the human race. Verse John 3, 16. For God so loved the... He's not talking about the physical created world. He's talking about humanity. So you'll see that word used to speak of people. When it says Christ came to the world and the world received him not, it's speaking of humanity. So this is the third way now that's being used here in verse 15. Let's read it. Do not love the world. The word there is cosmos, and what it means is a system. It's the opposite of chaos. Chaos is the removal of a system. Cosmos is a system. What is it speaking of? It is speaking of an evil system that goes against the gospel of Christ. As we're going to see in these next couple of verses, the spirit of the Antichrist, what is that speaking of? A world that goes against the gospel, the teachings, the doctrines, of Jesus Christ. And so when it speaks of this word world, it is speaking of an order, a system, an evil system that goes against the gospel. Now, let me just ask, because the people in the room, if you affirm that you see that in the world today, let me hear you say amen. amen. Now, as believers, let's be real, man, it's easy to be sucked into these things. And this is the warning of John. And we're going to see the three gateways that gets us into these things. But what is his warning? His warning is, hey, don't get caught up in a system that goes against what you personally, foundationally, have committed your life to. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what you are saying is that you believe that this is the truth. And if this is the truth, anything that opposes and counters that truth should bother you. But as believers in this system, I'm going to be real with you. It's easy to be entertained by the world. I don't want to get so much caught up in it, but I'll watch it and I'll laugh at it. And listen, I'm preaching to myself this morning. Let me just tell you, I'm sitting out there with you. 
So this world system that he's speaking of is this evil system that's coordinated, according to Ephesians 6, principalities, the ruler of the darkness of this air, the prince of this world. He is speaking of a system. So he's saying, don't love the system that goes against what you've put your trust in. Don't be a part of the system that is anti-Christ. And he's going to see it in the spirit of the Antichrist. Look at the last part of verse 15. If anyone loves the world, this is in the present tense. Watch this. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father in him. He's not saying that if you tripped up and went down this road, but then you don't know the Father no more. No, it's in the present tense. So what is it speaking of? A habitual practice. This is the rhythm of my life. And so what is he saying? If you're in the world, and that's where you are, and you're just going with it, not just one day, not just two days, but if that is the rhythm of your life, present tense, the love of the Father is not in you. And then he goes into these gateways. Now, again, he's writing to these churches. And he's saying, okay, you claim to know God. You claim to know God. Here, take inventory. And then look at what he says here in verse 16. Man, whew. For all that is in the world, same, same word, evil system, coordinated system. And then here's the three gateways that gets us into it. You ready? The lust of the flesh. Welcome, visitors, by the way. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So let's break those down a little bit. Y'all ready? So lust, let's break that down. Sometimes we identify lust with a sexual desire. That's not necessarily what's being used here. The word lust means a craving. It's an inordinate desire. It's a passion. It's a picture of panting for something, where it gets on you, and now it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going for that. I'm going. That's now the central thing for me. So that's the word first that's being used. Well, let's talk about the first phrase, the lust of the flesh. What is he speaking of? Let me give you a definition. It refers to the deep, profound part of our fallenness. Listen to this. The Old Testament calls this the imagination of an evil heart that's buried deep within us, underneath rationality, and can corrupt our thinking. If you affirm that, say amen. Amen? So we have this in us. The Bible tells us there's a flesh within us that every day you ain't got to go looking for that wants to be dominated by your senses. Like, like, my life is me, and here it is, the battle, right? The battle of idolatry is either we're living for the Lord or we're living for ourselves. How do we live for ourselves? Through our senses. The lust of the flesh. That my flesh desires this, I go with it. My hands desire this, I go with it. My eyes desire this, my ears desire this, my mouth desires this. And so it's falling into this natural thing that we all have. We're born into Adam. For all the sin and falling short of the glory of God, if you affirm that, say amen, amen. If you didn't, you're a liar, now you're with us. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. And even redeemed, filled by the Lord, the flesh is there. And the flesh is strong. Paul speaks of it, and we're going to see that. But he is speaking of this passion, this lust of what feeds me. It all comes back to what? I'm my God. The lust of the flesh, think about the world, the system we live in. What is the system we live in? Live for yourself. This life is you. Go get famous. Go get rich. Go get some likes or whatever that junk is. Go get some views. Like go do those things. What, who's it glorify? You. So the battle really, we talk about all these gods, lowercase g, let's be real. The battle for you and the battle for me is Christ and us. That's the battle. And here he is writing and saying, here are the, here, here's the gateways in which it happens. The lust of the flesh is just someone going along. What comes natural? Just going along. And look at what he says at the next part. 
the lust of the eyes. Now, let's pause here and go to Galatians. Go to Galatians very quickly. Woo, we're going to go over. Go to Galatians very quickly, verse 5. Are y'all cool with that? I don't care. Verse 5, look at verse 5. Paul says this, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. As he's acknowledging that in all of us, there's a battle. He's acknowledging that every day, even in the Lord, the spirit of God that lives in us, there's a battle. And our professors used to say, I'll tell you which dog wins, which one are you feeding? And I remember sitting there, I, I got, I'm absent from this class today, I'm out of here. He's like, man, there's a battle, which one are you feeding? Are you feeding the side of the spirit or are you feeding the side of the flesh? Because you don't have to go looking for the food of the flesh. It's waiting for you the moment you wake up. But you do got to go look to feed for the spirit. That don't come natural. And so here's Paul saying, here's the battle in all of us. Here's the battle in all of us. Here it is. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit. They're contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But you are led by the spirit. Do you see that? He says there's a natural tendency in all of us. So you got to, by the power of God, stop it. You don't have no power in it, but the Lord does. Look at this next part. Works of the flesh are evident. Adultery fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you, and just as I've also told you in times past, those who practice will not inherit the kingdom of God. But he says, here's the opposite side. Right? We're not saved by it, but we're known by it. Look at the opposite side. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? What's the first one? The love of the Father. The fruit of the Spirit is that if you've been loved, you're going to love. That if you've been loved, you're going to love. You're going to love in spite of. That dude that ticks you off at work, the Lord is going to give you supernatural power to love him and walk away with joy and peace and say, I don't like him, but I love him in Jesus. There's a difference because the flesh won't do that. The flesh will, anyway... Love is the first one. What flows from that? Joy, peace, hear this, long-suffering, in the spirit, right? Wouldn't we rather be here? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now go to verse 24. And those who are Christ crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Here is Paul attaching those things to the cross. And what is he saying? A child of God every day, right? A child of God every day, Romans 12, 1 and 2, goes to that altar and says, you know what? I recognize there upon the cross, it was put to death, the authority over me. It was put to death. And by the power of the resurrection, it is the power of God that lives in me. And I no longer have to walk in bondage to my flesh. I don't. I can go a different direction by the power of God, by feeding in the spiritual components of God. I think so many times, and listen, I'll fully admit, right, I think part of it is naivety. We, we walk out into this battle that we don't even recognize. We go to school and we go to work, and there's a natural drift in all of us. You're never idle. You're either being drifted because that comes naturally by the world and the flesh, or you're turning and going, nope. So the question is, right, where do we yield to the Lord in this? Look at what he says. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. Notice this next one, the lust of the eyes. So now it's speaking of the things that come natural. Now it's the eye that sees and wants. 
Now is the eye that identifies, okay, now I can put something to the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh comes natural, but now I'm going to match it up. Now I'm going to match it up. I'm going to match up that desire to something visually that then inwardly will become a lust. Not necessarily sexual, but a passion, a desire, something I'm seeking, something I'm panting for. And so this is the warning of John, the lust of the flesh. Now it's the lust of the eyes. And then it all falls into the next one, what? The pride of life. I love this statement. It said, we try so hard to keep up with the Jones, and then just about the time we catch up, they either move or refinance. I love that statement, by the way. Too many Christians spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. I love that statement as well. They love, but they don't like. So here's the difference here. The lust of the flesh is the desire to do something apart from the will of God. The lust of the eyes is the desire to have something apart from the will of God. The pride of life is the desire to be something a part of the will of God. So now it comes to, okay, this all comes down to my life, my journey, my job, my family. It's this idea, right, that I get my self-worth and identity not from a savior who died for me, but because of the things that I've accomplished in my life. So John's calling it out. He says, these are the three traps. We all have these traps in front of us. The flesh comes natural. The eyes come natural. And it all comes back to pride. Every sin committed comes back to pride. What is the original sin? What is the original sin? Why did he get kicked out of heaven? It was the result of what? Pride. He wanted to be like God. Every sin we have comes down to me choosing myself over God. So he says what? Here's the gateways. Here's the warnings. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And then look at what he says. is not of the Father, but is of the world. There's that system again. You know what's so interesting about this? It's the same tactic Satan used with Jesus. It's the same tactic when he tempted him in the wilderness. And I don't have time to get into that this morning. I want to so bad. We're going to continue this next week because I don't want to rush through this, because I believe this is the practical battle for all of us. It's my practical battle. That here's John talking about, okay, guys, the evidence of your faith. How important is God's word? Only you can answer that question. Is it something you believe? Well, if you believe it, then what part does it have of your life? Because he says, if that desire of truth and walking in that is not there, then, then there's a question. That's the first one. And then he comes to the other side and says, don't tell me you know this Jesus that I experienced his love when you're hating people. Don't tell me you know him when you're looking down on people and judge. Don't tell me you know that Jesus. And then he comes into this place of, okay, we're called to love, but here's the traps for all of us. Lust of the flesh. Listen, I believe this with all my heart, man. If there's not a time, and I'm just going to be honest with you, if I don't capture it early, if I don't capture it early, my mind goes fast. And I challenge you to have a time with the Lord early. Have a time with the Lord early. Because I don't know about you, my mind goes sideways quick. Can I get an amen? Anybody else here? Where I'm now thinking of my agenda and what I got to do and what I da, 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 And the Lord just says, just be still and be quiet. First of all, praise me for who I am. Thank me for what I've done. You're saved in this moment, by the way. Stinking Heath, you understand that. That you've been covered by the blood of Jesus. Let's start there. Won't you reflect on that a little while? Won't you reflect on the fact that you have an eternity in heaven? Won't you reflect upon the fact that you have a grandmother and a grand, that you are going to see in heaven, not because of you, but because of Jesus? Let's just start there for a minute. 
And then here's the next question. What's leading me today? Because if God's word's not there leading you, something is. And I can tell you what it is because I got it in me as well. And it's called the flesh. And so in this battle of flesh and spirit, the question is, what's being fed? What's being fed? What are my eyes watching? What are my ears? What's being fed? What, what am I feeding? Am I feeding my flesh or am I feeding my spirit? And why would I wonder by Wednesday if I'm struggling and I'm just walking and there's no peace and there's no joy? Well, I can look back and see I've not done anything spiritually to feed my soul. I'm anemic spiritually, but I've fed a lot on the world. I'm just kind of confessing up here on the stage if that's cool. Because this is the battle right here because it comes natural to all of us. So you put a stop to it. You recognize the authority of the blood of Jesus. Those chains have been broken. Can I get an amen? I'm no longer in bondage to that. I'm no longer a slave to that. And by the authority of Jesus, I step out of this house today to know that I'm covered. I'm cleaned. I stand pure, holy before a God of this universe. And now here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Don't clap for me. I don't deserve it. Trust me. Here it is. Lord, make me love today the way you've loved me. Help me love in a way that I don't have. For the people who have hurt me and damaged me, may they see the gospel in that. May they see grace and mercy. Not to point to me as a good person, but my heart, Lord, is that it would point to the person who has saved me and the love and the grace that I've experienced. Let me tell you something, man. As you exit, you're in a different place you're in a different place. The spirit of truth is in you. It will match up the truth that you have sought. And guess what else it will do? It will expose lies. It will expose lies all throughout the day. But without that truth, you won't have it. But when you have that truth, I'm telling you, you'll see it in music. You'll see it in television. You'll see it in conversation. The Holy Spirit will give you that sensitivity to what is a lie and what is truth. But we got to desire it. I'm going to have you stand right here. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come back next week, please, if you're, if you're not please, but please, if you're a guest, I usually get through a sermon, not really, but I try to come back next week. This is such a passage that, again, it's just a battle. It's a battle for us. And again, I believe he says, I write this for your joy. I come back to that because these are joy zappers. The world is a joy zapper. You understand what I'm saying? It's a joy zapper, and you're feeding on that. Guess what's going? Your joy. Your, it's going. It's connected to it. I've walked it, lived it. How will he find us this week? Seeking the world? Living for us? How many of us can it be said that we get to that altar each day and go, Lord, not me today, but you and me? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we are captivated by your grace that you would love us you would love us and Lord we thank you for Jesus we thank you for God who came took on this flesh and bones and lived but did what none of us could do in this place met your standards and then died for us Lord may we not get over that no matter what our lives no matter what our seasons Lord may we just allow that be the foundation of all that we do. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us and for living in us and for going before us. May you do it as we leave this place. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. The first place you can exercise this love.
is in the parking lot. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday morning.